good wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition of John Arizzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. We are the only podcast that brings you back 30 years with some really cool clips and great reminiscing about wrestling from 30 years ago. The Pro Wrestling Spotlight covered all the new stories back in the day uh, with breaking developments that happened in real time. And now we get to relive those moments right here on this podcast. And joining me, as always, the renowned pro wrestling journalist, former managing editor of Pro Wrestling Illustrated and so many other landmark wrestling magazines, direct from New York, Mr. Bob Smith. Bob, how are you doing today? And happy uh, belated Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Oh, it was it was quite the turkey day. And uh, I sit here burnout and crispy and had my own share of travails of late. But this is the time of the week where we get to sit down and have some fun talking about wrestling. Exactly. So I'm glad to be back and glad to be with you and Marsh. Yes, the old days uh, coming back to life today. And uh, let's say hello to Marsh, uh, our creative director and producer of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Marsh, how you doing? Hey, you. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ed McMahon, ladies and gentlemen. What hey. excitement from Marsh today. Yeah. <laughs> hey. hey, how are you? Yeah, as I was off stream, a bunch of my audio equipment started malfunctioning, and I was like, I got to get this up and running. So hopefully, I got it right on time. Good to see you. I love the shirt. I know what that one is, actually. Yeah, Yeah, we've been having so many cactus clips. I had to pull it out. Yeah, well, that's one of my favorites. Uh, I never forget when he first came out with that shirt because he did it himself, and I loved it, and people loved it. And it's still one of the best wrestling t shirts I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's so good. It's solid. It's a perfect shirt. Yeah. So what's shaking in your life? Anything cool? Uh, just the same old, same old. I've been doing all that recording with uh, Medusa lately, and that's been yeah. a lot of fun. So She's keeping you busy, isn't she? Yes. Very busy. So that's yeah. been cool, though. Being able to start talking wrestling with her was the uh, was the trick, but we're there, and we're doing yeah. it, and so it's been a lot of excitement. Oh, good. So. Yeah, yeah. She's not as calm as me, is she? No. I definitely. <laughs> Which is fun. I mean, because this is as excited as I get. This is my excitable. So it's really yeah. fun because her energy level's so high. That's yeah. why you're a great guest for a party, aren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mosey on in and I sneak yeah. out the back. That's kind of the that's kind of the way to be sometimes, you know. Yeah. You know, not, I'm not trying to rock. Hey, listen, boat. listen, you do a great job at what you do and uh, and I'm sure that there'll be uh, uh during this holiday season that we're now knee deep into that uh, there'll be lots of uh, jovial partying that you'll be doing with all your buddies there in Arizona. Yeah. Well, it's been good. And, and going out to San Diego to see my, uh, my grandmother and my family is really, really yeah. cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Holiday season is upon us. So, uh, and now we're going to kind of go back uh, once we get this uh, soiree started really to, uh, the day after Christmas of 1992. So uh, we'll have a lot of fun with that. But yeah, uh, yeah we, we have uh, some good stuff to talk about, Marsh. Thank you as always. If we make any mistakes, if uh, we uh, are screwing up, if you need to correct us, you know where to find us. Yes, if I if I pass out here, will you contact my next of kin and, you know, yeah. or call, we'll call you. an ambulance, if you would? Yes. Put a little, little smelling salt under your nose real quick. We'll get you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Marsh. Uh, <laughs> our friend Marsh, and I'm so happy he's with us. We were talking about him before, um, you know, kind of talking to him before we, we pushed record for today about uh, 
how great that YouTube show is, uh, that oh, video man. element for this. Yeah. Yes. For, for those of you listening who haven't uh, taken a gander at what's going on on YouTube, I am so impressed with the, the gussied up special event that our little podcast now is becoming on YouTube. And I'm so appreciative because, you know what? It's a whole new vibe, a whole new feel, tremendous graphics. Stuff will happen on your screen that you will not expect until you see it. Mm -hmm. I think it's correct. a great way to put it, right? Yeah, and even uh, some of the specials that we do, like that first shoot interview that Davy Boyd Smith did back in 1992, which is now up on YouTube, with great visual effects that Marsh came up with throughout it, including uh, uh, just you got to see it to watch it. I mean, there's just a, he put a lot yeah. of work into it. And it's visually pleasing, and the audio with that complete interview is really something that fans should uh, give a listen. That's at the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash pro wrestling spotlight. And as always, we want to thank our patrons, of course, um, uh, as we wind down to the uh, last month of the year, we really want to say thank you again to the patrons. And if you're interested in getting the complete archives of the pro wrestling spotlight and all kinds of content, just go to patreon.com slash John Arezzi. Five bucks a month gets you in the door. And uh, everybody who has uh, become a patron uh, this year, last year, since uh, we've been actually started my own, the Patreon page in September of uh, 2021, uh, the, the, the consistency of the people that remain with us is uh, very heartwarming. So I want to thank you again. Patreon.com slash John Arezzi. So, Bob, uh, we're going back in time the day after Christmas, 1992. Yes, this and this is, this is another one of your, how do we put this? A cobbled together show? Is that proper? Or is it's that kind of like a year end in review type of thing because 1992 was such a, uh, just a newsworthy year in pro wrestling, not for the good things, but for the bad things that were going on. So, um, uh, so, you know, we, I, I always at the end of each year, um, always took the last two weeks of the year off, uh, because that's just kind of what I do. I mean, I, I, I shut it down for the last two weeks each year when I, 30 years ago, that's what I did. So we would record, uh, shows, best ofs, look backs, uh, of uh, what we've done and and that's kind of what last week's show and this week's show is all about uh, it may be redundant for some who have heard every single show but uh, uh especially 1992 was so newsworthy that we wanted to take a look back and uh, and this episode we feature uh kind of a wrestling expert to do that with well let, let's speak before we get into the clips let's speak of 92 because uh yeah that was a year transmission uh, transition for me, particularly because I knew I was leaving PWI mm -hmm. at that point. Uh, even I, I hadn't quit yet, but I was looking. Um, I had to get out of there, and it was one of the great heartbreaks of my professional career because I, when I was there, I honestly thought I was there for life. Uh, you know, back then at least the magazine business was thriving, but our sales were down, and they sold the company. Stanley Weston sold to Kappa Publishing in Pennsylvania. And I just, you got to remember, folks, if you can believe this, this is pre-internet, pre-email. I couldn't submit files instantly like you could do now. You had to be in the office to do the work, and they were moving the office to another state. I wasn't going to go. So, you know, regardless of what kind of offer I was making, there's no way I could go because I, I owned property near the PWI offices at that point, and I was stuck there. I had to stay. So it was, it was transitional then, but also my mind back then was how, 
messed up the wrestling business was at this point when the show came out because you had all the controversy all year with the WWF on top of it, failing TV ratings and horrible live attendance. John, you know better than anybody what was going on then. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a tumultuous year and everything was bad. There weren't a lot of bright spots in 1992. And personally, for me, it started off with uh, beginning a show on WEVD, mm-hmm. which was a big expense because I was partners with Russo, Vince Russo at the time, in the beginning of 1992. And that was a three-month short-lived partnership, really. Uh, the sex scandals, uh, you know, we kicked off the show, which we'll uh, you know, highlight today a little bit with uh, uh, some of the stuff that was just going on in the business, steroids, the sex stuff, uh, Russo breakup, me losing EVD, going back to NYG. It wasn't a good year. It wasn't a good year for the business, me personally, and you were going through your own uh, yeah. personal stuff. You didn't even know what I was going through at that point. I kept I had on no the idea. No, I kept on the QT. I wasn't about to announce or you know, broadcast it to anybody else. You know, yeah. I thought it would have been unprofessional. Yeah. So I, I, in fact, to this day, I still do. I could, you know what? I could be like everybody else in the world and talk about, hey, back in 91 at the office, this Laos said this to me or this was bad. Or this. Mm-hmm. I am not going to be that guy. I, I'm not that guy. Anybody mm-hmm. who looks for me for juicy inside tales of rancor at PWI can look to somebody else because that's not what I'm going to do here. Yeah. I've never done no. it. I never will do it. That was a pro, you know, it yeah. was between the people at the company and I had a good time. I'm boring. Yeah. You try to remember the good things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it wasn't all sweetness and light there. No job is. But no, no you know what? Is. Overall, I'm proud of what I did there. And I, I think they liked my work. And I think the people in what the magazines like to work. So that's what counts. Mm-hmm. That's what the whole thing yep. is about. Entertaining okay. other people. And that was your that was your role too, John. You wanted to get your show out to as many ears as you could find. But you were hopping around like a, like a frog on a skillet because you kept moving from station to station in ninety two. Yeah, it was like uh, EVD and back to NYG, and um, so that was a big transition. And and then also, uh, you know, that change came uh, uh, NYG. You know, we had a convention we were doing in 92. So it was just a it was a nutty year. You know, it was kind of one of those years where you look at it and say, why am I doing this? But, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, the one thing about me, it was uh, I was always kind of optimistic until I couldn't take any more. And I felt that 93, once we turned the page on 92, 93 was going to be a better year. And it uh, it certainly does become one. It, it become, 1993 is going to be a way different, uh, way different atmosphere with guests and events and AAA and Southeast Asia and mm-hmm. going back to EVD. And uh, so we're, we're, it's going to be a it's going to be a pretty interesting year. And as I was telling you and Marsh before uh, we went on the year. I looked at all the radio shows in the in, in the archives, uh, and you know I see from January third, nineteen ninety three, right through August. I mean, it was just every single week was the show, and and even I even broadcast from uh, Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah. So there's gonna be some good stuff uh, coming yeah. up uh, once we get into uh, nineteen ninety three. And here's the amazing part, John, about your year. You just did a great job talking about what you went through. But the shows were groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. And we have one of those shows now with like 80 people in the, in, the, in, the, in the studio and four people on the phone and breaking all the news of the day. You were, you were like, 
you were a journalist. I didn't know if you set out when you first did the show to become a journalist, right? In your earliest incarnation as a I didn't. radio talk show host. But that was the 800-pound grill in the room. You couldn't ignore it. And you had to wait with people that you got them to open up. And you got – it was more than that. You did some of your best work in 92, the Davey Boy Smith interview. That's oh, going yeah. Right now. yeah. Yeah, that was uh, – that evolution uh, really was not something I, I never thought starting it in 89 would it would be anything of what it became i wanted it to be a promotional vehicle for wrestling i wanted to do giveaways i wanted to have great guests on uh but the evolution into a kind of a shoot show started slowly initially and got extreme (laughs) uh in 91 in a way when zaharian trial started and all of that stuff started to happen in the mcmahon uh press conference and then much getting involved and then me meeting russo and the 92 was this explosion of just scandal after scandal after scandal and it did turn into this all you know this journalistic approach more than anything else um you know you still try to have fun with it but most of the fun was not happening uh, but you do have, you know, the Cactus Jacks and the Paul E's and yeah. some of the other entertaining guests that we Yeah, have. and, and un- unexpected things like the amazing Tom Sink appearance. I, I mean, to yeah. me, that's my personal favorite because he really let you see who he was. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, Tom Sink to me was tier two underneath the biggest stars in wrestling. But once I heard him talk, I wanted to see more of him. And I remember going back to look at the match he had with Brian, Brian Pillman that was such a great match. He was an interesting fella, and I wish he had been given more of a shot. I never would have known that if I hadn't heard that interview that you did with him. So, you know, he was a really, really talented person. He really was. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot more of that stuff to come. Uh, but, yeah, this one is kind of a, you know, I couldn't be there at the studio. It was December 26. I had the appearance at the Farmingdale Lanes and the Comac Lanes with Neidhart and bulldog so this is kind of a pre-recorded uh it was a pre-recorded show mm-hmm. and like with all of our shows who's the first appearance on the show but don libel the walking wrestling encyclopedia the guy who was also the bug yes the guy and who was of- first interview in a wrestling magazine with silvano souza and yes. a magazine that i happened to own back in the day and i i I love that piece. I just love that piece. Everything about that piece. Scream 1970. So uh, Don's been there and back and has a few tales of his own, right, John? Yes, he has a news capsule, and he uh, he certainly is somebody that was just so thorough covering the news back then, too. So um, another Donnie Liable news capsule or time capsule, as you've penned it, Bob, yeah. so graciously. Is going and, to entertain uh, our listeners. He's got some stuff about a place I worked at back then too. So let's um let's hear Don. Now it's time to go to our ace reporter upstate New York, the incomparable Don Libel. Donnie, happy holidays to you. Same to you, John, and to all the listeners, and a good morning. World Championship Wrestling presents its final pay-per-view show of 1992 this coming Monday evening live from Atlanta's Omni Arena. In the main event, Ravishing Rick Rude puts his United States title on the line opposite WCW heavyweight champ Ron Simmons. And despite rumors going around of an impending exit from WCW by Dusty Rhodes, those reports appear premature at best. 
It's believed that when Big Dust's contract expires next month, he will remain on an administrative booking committee with Jim Ross, Greg Gagne, Bill Dundee, Mike Graham, and Larry Zabisco. And, of course, Cowboy Bill Watts will head the committee. Paulie Dangerously was selected as Manager of the Year by Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine. And a programming note, WCW's first Clash of Champions televised uh, show on TBS will be January 13th, with the main event being an eight-man Thunderdome cage match. Kerry Von Erich returned to the Global Wrestling Federation for a cage match in Dallas' Sportatorium with Black Bart, and the result is somewhat surprising. As Kerry was attempting to exit the cage, Bart's manager, Skandar Akbar, at ringside, he slammed the door in Kerry's face, causing him to be pinned. And Rod Price remains the Global Wrestling Federation North American heavyweight champion. From the Where Are They Now department, Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. is touring Japan for the Now promotion along with Manny Fernandez. Wahoo McDaniel is taking bookings throughout the Carolinas. And David Sammartino will be returning to the ring after a 15-month absence on January 30th for promoter Steve Taylor in Pensacola, New Jersey, to take on Ivan Koloff in a chain match. And finally, from the Scrapbook Files of 1978, 14 years ago this week in pro wrestling, it was Moose Sholak winning over Blackjack Lanza by disqualification in Milwaukee. United States champion Playboy Buddy Rose successfully defended his title by pinning Jimmy Snooker in San Francisco's Cow Palace. And the winner of the 22-man Battle Royal in Houston, Texas, was Dusty Rhodes. For Pro Wrestling This Week, I'm Don Liable reporting. Happy holidays, everyone. Okay, Don, listen, we thank you very much, and uh, you have a happy new year. And uh, don't forget uh, later today, everybody, that at the Farmingdale Lanes and Comac Lanes, we'll be out there saying hello to the British Bulldog and also Jim the Anvil Nineheart. John, one uh, quick uh, prediction. I guess it's pretty safe to say we're going to have a new WCW heavyweight champ. Yeah, that's... Uh, just a couple of days from now at Starcade, I feel the same way. Uh, I really feel that Rick Root is going to capture that title. Good enough. Have a good show, John. Thank you. And that never happened, did it? No. <laughs> I didn't. Even, I didn't have to look that up. I knew. Yeah, that was a prediction gone wrong for sure. You know what? Root was pretty good in WCW. Okay. They let him be himself, and it was kind of a toned down version in terms of you know the character. He was really good athletically in WCW. He he had some great matches there. Yeah, Rude is uh, an interesting one. I mean, because of uh, you know his early demise, he passed away at such a young age. But he was so good at what he did. He was so believable, and yes, I, I never forget the angles that he did with Jake the Snake and oh, Cheryl Roberts, and oh. it was incredible stuff. And then when he went over to WCW, he was just he was he was classic, you know, and. I had the opportunity to work with him once and brought him in for the 91 convention. And he was a gentleman. Uh, he was easy to work with. Uh, but uh, what a loss losing a oh, guy like that at such a young age. Because I, I, I imagine that he could have been a uh, – he, he would have still uh, kind of been relevant uh, as a manager or, or something in the wrestling business today. I got stuck on an elevator across from Madison Square Garden with him one time. But that's a whole other ball of wax. But uh, – I, I will say that he's probably one of the five best wrestlers never to be a world champion. What do you think yeah. about him? I, I agree with you. I mean, he yeah. he was certainly – he had it all. He did. He had it all. I don't understand why they wouldn't put a strap on a guy like that. You think back to the great matches he had. Yeah, uh, you know what? Politics. It could be political. He could have, you, you know. Yeah, but you know what? Did he ever have a bad match? I can't think of one. 
I don't really, I just remember him being believable and intense and a good worker and a good, yeah. good mouthpiece for sure. Oh gosh. He generated talk, yeah. a tremendous amount of heat, uh, with angles that he was associated and involved in. And he just had this smug way about him. That was, remember, that you remember must w, hate him. Remember WWE, this little, little spiel he did. I want all you filthy, no good. I know. San Diego sweat hogs. Boom. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was uh, let that me was show you what a real man looks like. Exactly, he right. had it all. He really did. So we miss uh, the great Rick Rude for and sure. Boy, how the mighty have fallen. Here's Kerry Von Erich out of the yeah. WWE. Yes, shows up global and takes a pinfall to Black Bart. Yeah, well, I what mean, happened, Kerry? I mean, well, he had those personal demons, and he was getting arrested for drug possession, and uh, there was just he was on his. He was on his way out, unfortunately, um, you know, and, you know, he wound up committing suicide a f just a few months later. I mean, yeah. he, and so, I mean, we're going to be covering that extensively when we get into the uh, uh, February 20th, 1993 uh, show mm -hmm. uh, with his uh, with his suicide. But he was um, he was on a downward spiral that he couldn't really be rescued from, unfortunately. Yeah, and the other point I'll make from Don's capsule, um, there was no other choice for manager of the year in 1992 but Paul E. Dangerously. There was no other choice. Yeah. And our magazine, you know, we really did go by the votes. You know, the fans would send in their coupons and, you know, and let us know who they wanted. He blew away the field even with the fan vote. He, he was just on top of his game. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of transition going on with the managers in WWF. I think Heenan was on a mic half the time at that point. Mm -hmm. and, you know, things were moving around. Paul Lee was in the trenches every week on WCW. He got in the ring. He did everything that you would expect a heel manager to do, and he was so doggone good at it. He was, uh, and he's still to this day just an incredible genius, and it's kind of ironic. He wins the manager of the year by PWI, and, and then in the beginning of the year of 1993, he gets fired. Yep. which we'll be covering obviously on, on our January 16th, 93 show, uh, which is coming up. So, you know, uh, all good stuff. And uh, we, uh, we certainly love the news capsules or the time capsules as we call them for that reason, because we could really hear the hard news stories, what was going on and, and talk about this stuff right here on this show. Isn't it amazing when we hear Donnie's capsules, how it brings back memories for both of us instantly. It does little facts and figures and stuff where it we does. were and, and anecdotal stuff from that era. Bang. Nothing mm -hmm. does it like Don's time capsule. I don't think. No, he, he does. He, he does bring you back and uh, always a pleasure to hear that news capsule every week. It was, it was a staple of the show for its run uh, on, uh, on, on terrestrial radio, commercial radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, right after that, we usually go to spots, and we did. Uh, we talked about uh, Rob Feinstein, who had uh, tapes uh, for sale for the holidays, and Terry Funk versus Eddie Gilbert. And he had that match that uh, Sean Waltman, uh, the Lightning Kid, was injured in that match with Bill Wilcox. So we, we promoted that. Rob advertised with us, and interesting to look back at it now like a wrestling bootlegger <laughs> yeah. bootlegger was on the air and and that accepted the advertising so uh anyway uh but we do uh we do have a spot to talk about here today we want to thank uh curable active uh for being a part of the show again and bob uh for those of you who are going to be watching the video uh 
edition of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. He's holding up one of their products right now, and he's holding up that uh, that this almost, is the pain relief dry spray. Yes, like the the crazy Luke thumb or the Ernie the cat. Lift. That's right, right. Holding it up, and he put some curable on there. And I I have a this is a bowling injury, right? Yeah. It's a big knob on my thumb that becomes inflamed when I overdo it. So I just today I tried this for the first time. This is a, this is called the active dry spray pain relief. It's got uh, camphor and menthol, mm-hmm. and it's always inflamed. It's always red here. It's always all, all gnarled up. I put it on, and I am not being facetious. The red kind of vaporized. It's gone. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any red on your thumb there at all, Bob. No, and, and for me, that's that's really great because you know. Now I can move it without too much of a hassle. You know, I would bend it a certain way. It would ache a little bit. Now it mm-hmm. just feels normal. So this may well, be that's... the answer to, to a five-year-long problem here because I have this mutated, ridiculous thumb from bowling. See this, fans? Mm-hmm. fans? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, in any I... event, uh, you know, not only that, but the dog loves – my dog loves the uh, curable dog treats. The CBD treats. The CBD treats, yeah, and she's uh, – <laughs> I've only had the dog for a little about ten days now, and she's uh, ate them all up. So I got to go order some more. Yeah, the product's good. I use it twice a day myself. Uh, you know, they uh, uh, curable. That's k u r i b l dot com. They have a wide selection of CBD products designed to help with pain relief, using the highest quality natural hemp CBD products. They partner with local farmers to source the best and unique hemp genetics in order to provide you with products high in cbd all of their hemp is grown in the usa it's all natural pesticide free non-gmo and they only use the highest quality hemp resulting in the finest and purest hemp cbd products on the market today and you could use the 20 percent off uh, promo code pws so if you uh, go to curable.com use that promo code to take 20% off your order. And it's a great way to manage pain. I, uh, I could, uh, you know, I highly endorse it. Kurt Angle uses it. Medusa uses it. So why don't we uh, hear what Mr. Angle has to say about this wonderful product, Curable Active. Hello, it's Kurt Angle, 1996 gold medalist and 13-time world professional wrestling champion for Curable Active. My job for years as a top professional wrestler was to give millions of wrestling fans five-star matches they would remember for a lifetime. But to do my job, I had to put my body on the line. Unfortunately, I'm paying the price with injuries I've had on the mat and in the pro wrestling ring. My neck, which I broke five times, and I just had double knee replacement surgery, so I know pain. Aches and pains are part of life. And pain sucks. You can suffer with it or manage it with all-natural Curable Active. This decision changed my life. I apply Curable Active daily to my achy areas for soothing pain relief. If Curable Active can get me through my day, there's a good chance it can help you too. Get Curable Active just like thousands of others and save 20% today. Go to Curable.com, use promo code KURT20. That's K-U-R-I-B-L.com, code K-U-R-T-20. Curable.com, that's K-U-R-I-B-L.com, as Mr. Angle says, and uh, use the promo code PWS for your PWS discount. Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'm on to my third product. I, I, I got to give it an endorsement. There's n- it's, it's such good quality. Even the packaging is like first rate. It, it's like yeah. major league all the way. It really is. 
Well, we uh, hope that uh, anyone out there with little aches and pains, problems, uh, chronic uh, back, neck, ankle, knee, uh, you'll Keep find going. relief. <laughs> yeah, but let's get on with the program here. And um, it was a look back at 1992, Bob. It was, and uh, there's some terrific taped guests here, including the dean of pro wrestling journalist Dave Meltzer. And uh, we both have had our really nice relationships with Dave over the years. And uh, it, this was kind of cool to have him in this because it's kind of a year end wrap up, so to speak. Yeah, from a tumultuous 1992. So Meltzer. Uh, was a regular guest on Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and he was always very cooperative. And uh, we used to love having Dave's insights on the show. And I felt with the end of the year, uh, as it was uh, uh, looking back at 1992, which was uh, one of the craziest, most scandalous uh, periods in the history of pro wrestling, that Dave would be a good one to talk about what was going on, not only on the scandal front, but also on the other things, the in-ring things that took place. Uh, and so we were happy to have Dave on this episode. Yeah. I mean, Dave had, Dave had so many sources and he always had the straight poop on anything that was going on, be it who won the match on Tuesday to uh, who's signing with who to uh, the more of the various stuff that was going on throughout 1992. He was on top of it. He and and later in the show, there's a special moment, too, when you have him and a bunch of other people in the studio from one of probably one of your most legendary shows, which was the, of course, the uh, the steroid. I call it the steroid show. You can call it a bunch of other things, but um, that was a, an explosive show yeah. just off the, off the rails. Yeah, but in this first uh, this clip. Uh, what we're going to talk about are some of the things that happened uh, in uh, 1992 with Dave Meltzer, the editor and publisher of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Let's go to that now. Very tumultuous as far as the World Wrestling Federation is concerned, uh, beginning with uh, the first week of January when superstar Billy Graham and Dr. D. David Schultz appeared on a tabloid television program, uh, then appearing on a pro wrestling spotlight radio show January 5th, and then in February with the allegations of sexual scandals breaking uh, nationwide. Uh, leading up, uh, I guess it has been a very good year for the WWF. Well, I guess it's been a good year as far as uh, Europe. <laughs> but uh, in the United States, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been it hasn't been a good year for the WWF. I mean, they saw their business really take a nosedive, um, you know, um, and an awful lot of wrestlers left uh, unplanned. They've had a string of real bad luck, some of which I guess, you, you know, they've kind of brought on themselves and some of which, you know, it's been a lot of bad luck, though. Yes, it is. Now... Each and every year, uh, you used to publish a yearbook, uh, the Wrestling Observer yearbook, uh, where you went down uh, the top stories of the year that took place uh, previously. Uh, this year, I know you're not doing a yearbook, but of course you'll be talking about some of the top stories of the year in the, in the Observer. What would you say were like the five biggest stories uh, here in the States that took place with pro wrestling? Well, I think that they all, that pretty much they all stemmed from, um, you know, the different, the, the different scandals, you know, um, um, you know, and then the WWF uh, finally starting to weed out the steroid use. Um, I guess Bill Watts being hired um, in WCW was a pretty major story. Um, some of the guys leaving the WWF, um, I'd say that that's probably the biggest stuff that happened in the United States. I think the overall decline in the in the business, is, you know, maybe maybe the you know second or third biggest story as well. Um, right behind the scandals. I mean, just the, the fact that the WWF's business and WCW's, you know, the, 
the television ratings, you know, hitting record lows, the house show business going down to such a great degree. I think that those were those would probably be the highlight stories of the year. So it wasn't, and in that way, I mean, I guess that it exemplifies it wasn't such a a good year for wrestling because uh, most of your big stories were negative. Yeah, of course. Uh, even some on the lower end of the totem pole, you got stories that kind of got buried uh, because of the scandals and everything else that went on, uh, including Lex Luger leaving uh, WCW and pretty much being inactive for the entire year. Even a guy like Ron Simmons winning the WCW world title. Uh, those stories kind of got buried because of uh, all the scandals uh, that took place, and there was more focus on what happened outside the ring than inside the ring. Uh, but uh, in the WWF first, it seems as though... Uh, uh, things, at least right now for that company, uh, have changed. Uh, things are not the way they used to be. Uh, the, certainly the steroid problem in the business uh, has uh, certainly decreased. Would you agree? Well, certainly from the WWF standpoint, it's decreased. I think overall, um, if you take away the WWF, it probably has decreased a little bit also. Um, but in the WWF, I mean, the decrease is very drastic. Um, I'd say it's been a you know, the WWF has changed tremendously. I mean, just the, the, the talent has changed just because um, so many had left, which created the need for so many newcomers to come in. And, and wrestlers who would not have been given a chance a year ago are now in the main event, some of which has been very good as far as the actual quality of the product, but it hasn't been very good as far as uh, attendance, you know, to these matches or television ratings. Yeah, yes, indeed. And, of course, guys like Bret Hart, who is the current WWF champion, uh, it is a different type of wrestler than uh, the Hulk Hogan era, so to speak. But I think right now, uh, and, and you know, please agree with me if uh, you feel that this is the case, uh, that uh, uh, Hart as the champion uh, certainly hasn't helped business any, though. No, well, it hasn't worked thus far. Whether, you know, long-term, we'll have to wait and see, but... As far as any kind of an immediate impact, then we've got to say it hasn't done anything because, you know, if you judge, you know, take it from when Hart won the title to today, I mean, the crowds are the, low, are the lowest that they've probably been. Um, oh, boy. You know, I mean, I, I don't even know how many years you have to go back, but certainly well before the national expansion. Do you think this would be just a, a matter of time uh, that the fans may get accustomed to the, this type of wrestler, at least the casual fans, can, instead of the steroid uh, monsters that were dominating the, the WWF? Well, we're not going to have the steroid monster, so, so um, yeah, they're going to get accustomed to, to this kind of a wrestler if they stick around. I think the problem is that uh, WWF right now has to make a decision on what it is actually going to be because right now, I mean, you've got one side telling you, oh, we're going back to more serious wrestling, and then you watch the TV and you still see all the characters, oh, you know, still far more character wrestlers than serious wrestlers. And so, so a fan who's looking for serious wrestling, the WWF, you know, with the exception of maybe two matches a show, still is not it. And for the ones who are looking for the, uh, you know, more outlandish personalities and things like that, I don't know if they, you know, if, if, if a Bret Hart is the right champion for them. So he, he, by trying to appeal to two different audiences, I think he's alienating both rather than um, bringing them both together. Okay. Great observations by the observer. Yeah. You know what? They stuck with Brett, and I think uh, Brett ended up doing quite all right. Don't you agree? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, he was the right guy at the right time. But I will say this: I, I remember. I think I brought this up on a previous show where I went. I used to co continually cover the garden cards. I would just go to the shows to cover them one way or another, and. I remember the—I can't remember the card date, but it was where Jerry Lawler, who had just joined WWE, made his debut, 
708,000 people in the garden. And John, you were at the garden every month for God knows how long. You, you never saw an empty seat in the house. That's a that's a big giant. You know, between from the 70s and 80s and the huge crowds they drew to what happened is to the early 90s that fast. It just was jarring. It was jarring to everybody in the business. Yeah, it was just became another stop on the road. It wasn't special the way it used to be when I first started going. And and believe me, it wasn't, you know, I didn't see a sellout every time. But 8,000 people, you know, seven, 8,000 people. And that never happened during the time that I went to every single garden show from 70, end of August 71 through 77. And it just didn't happen. No, they they always had a representative crowd. And you're right. I, yeah. I, I don't want to overhype that they sold that every show, but they came close. Oh, they came close. There yeah. was never a, like a half-empty Madison Square Garden. Uh, no, never, you know, no. not like, not like when you have a twenty thousand capacity arena. Uh, you know that wrestling used to draw twenty-two thousand plus, and then an overflow at the Felt Forum, uh, where they'd put it on the big screen because they couldn't accommodate all the fans that wanted to see it live. Uh, uh, but then you get into the nineties, and after the scandals, and after just the uh, wrestling was getting worn out in a lot of different ways and they weren't drawing, drawing, but the garden should have always been a special, uh, a special place. It should be always something that was kind of put on a priority list and not another stop on the road. And that's what McMahon turned it into during yeah. this time period that we're reviewing. It was just, you know, with the expansion, they looked on, I think, catering to the newer venues and mm -hmm. the regular monthly event, ended in not only in the garden, but in Boston and Philadelphia, all the East coast spots where they, it was a monthly rite of passage. Everybody, everybody went to the monthly show. I got my first driver's license around 1977. And I remember driving to my first show at the garden, couldn't wait to get there because it was the monthly thing. And the only tickets I could get were nosebleeds, but I had the time of my life. Mm -hmm. Opening match was SD Jones versus Butcher Vashon, and I thought I was in heaven. <laughs> there you go. No, yeah. that special time to see your first shows, especially at the Mecca of all arenas at Madison Square. That's Garden. it. It wasn't just another stop. It was the Mecca. It was the Mecca, yeah. Even Vince said it. The garden will always be the garden. That's right. But as uh but Junior didn't listen. <laughs> yeah, he didn't listen himself, yeah. And Some you don't things like I'll never... Junior either. Some things I'll never understand, John and Rizzi. Yeah. I just, I just won't. That's true. But uh, Meltzer, you know, went on. If you want to hear the complete interview, uh, just go to Patreon.com/slash John Rizzi because the incomplete show is up there for you to enjoy. Because Meltzer then talks about uh, Luger, Steiner Brothers, uh, the WCW Funk, uh, and the Bill Watts era not really working out. Kip Fry, Lawler, uh, going back to Lawler, like you said, joining the WWF, Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, predictions, Bobby Eaton. So it was quite a comprehensive uh, interview with Dave Meltzer as we reviewed 1992. Uh, and then, you know, I always like to weigh in on predictions for the following year too, Bob which I did on this show. Do you remember any of them or no? Um, uh, no you predicted, the tape. I think you predicted Rick Rube was going to win. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't want to go back <laughs> think about that one. That was, a, that was, that was not one that, um, uh, Hey, listen, maybe it was kind of wishful thinking, right? Yeah. Wishful you know thinking. what he deserved. We talked about, he deserved a, a strap, but what, what can I tell you? Yeah. But uh, we do have a, a number of predictions uh, that would 
go into what we thought was going to happen in 1993. So why don't we play that for everybody? Uh, what we're going to do now is I'm going to mention a few names to you and, uh, you know, just give us your prediction or your feeling on, on how they're going to affect the pro wrestling business and what 1993 holds for these people. The first name on the list, Hulk Hogan. Oh, kind of interesting. Um, I wonder if he's going to come back. Um, if he does, it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, he's in, a, he's in the same position in, in, a, in a sense. He's right now in the same position Bill Watts was in. The longer he sits out, the more of a legend he becomes, okay? Um, but if he comes back and doesn't draw, then he's, then, you know what I mean? Then he's finished. Then he's finished, right. But if he never comes back, then he never didn't draw. And maybe from a standpoint, you know, maybe you want to look at it from, from the perspective of Hulk Hogan. It's like, well, as long as the business is down, I'm going to sit at home. Okay, but when the business starts to make a comeback, I'm going to jump right on board that wave, and then everyone will, you know, credit it to me. You know, maybe, you know, maybe he'll take that attitude because, I mean, the worst thing, you know, a lot of, you know, everyone says this. The worst thing that Bill Watts did was he ruined his legend by coming back, and then everyone realized that, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it, you know, you can't transplant 1983 ideas in 1992 and and, and have it work. Yeah, uh, Ric Flair. Ric Flair. It's going to be a real interesting year for Ric Flair. Um, Contract expires in September. Uh, I don't know. I mean, every year, you know, people will always say at the beginning of the year well, that this last year was Ric Flair's last year as a superstar in the business, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people start saying that to me in 1988. And here we are in 1992. He held the WWF title twice. And, you know, I mean, on, on the surface, it goes, well, you know, he's had his run at the top in the WWF. Now he's going to be mixed in with the rest of the guys. But somehow or other... You know, I don't know if it's talent or, or, you know, he plays the game really well, but Flair always seems to wind up uh, being a main event or somewhere, and I just think that when year is over, I don't know if it's in the WWF or WCW, but Flair's, Flair's still going to be a major player at the end of the year. How about Kurt Henning? Kurt Henning's going to be, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt Kurt Henning's going to be one of the two or three biggest stars in the business next year, um, unless, you know, barring an injury. Um, yeah, I mean, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be one of the guys that WF builds around. Okay. Uh, Lex Luger? That's going to be interesting. Uh, he's going to have a very different year. I think that Lex, I think Lex probably had uh, the best 1992 of anyone because he got paid big money, um, and he basically got to sit at home rather than go on the road in front of all these empty houses. Uh, next year he's going to have to go out there and, and, and draw. Um, you know, he's going to get a big push because he's making, you know, he, there's too much of a commitment, a financial commitment already made to him to not push him. Once he comes in, so he's gonna, you know, get the big push, um, and it, it'll, you know, it'll work as well as the business works. I mean, if the business isn't drawing, Lex Luger is not going to turn it around. If the business is drawing; he'll be the guy who steps on the top of the wave, and you know, will look, look really good. How about Sting? Sting's in an interesting position. Um, he's the franchise for WCW. I mean, he's going to be there the whole year, and he's going to be on top the whole year, and you know, that he may wind up with a world title, and you know, at some point too. Uh, but again, you know, with Sting, you know, you've got so much of a financial commitment to him, you know, the $750,000, $800,000 a year that he's making, you know, which, you know, the one thing I'll say for sure I think we can guarantee is, is that uh, unless Hogan comes back full time, that Sting next year is going to be the highest paid wrestler in the business. Yeah. Do you see anybody on the horizon as far as uh, making their, break, their breakthrough year in 93? Well, right now, I mean, the, the one name that, that, that everyone's talking about, I think, is uh, Scorpio in WCW. I think that if he's handled correctly, he can be a really big star. He's a little green in a lot of ways, but the potential there, you know, he's got the potential right now. 
to be, you know, one of the next really big stars. I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, I still think that uh, something can be done with Jushin Liger, but it's not going to happen. I mean, I know it's not going to happen, and certainly not under this regime, but I still see, you know, that if someone had their had their act together and knew what to do with him, that that guy would be, you know, a phenomenal draw. Yeah. And that brings us to the Japan situation as well. Wrestling still thriving over in Japan. Big show coming up January 4th, uh, the Tokyo Egg Dome. Uh, uh, I guess you see uh, Japanese wrestling and uh, some of the major groups over there still prospering in 93. Yeah. Um, they're, on, they're on quite a roll there. And I, I find it hard to believe that that they can maintain the, the pace of 92, but they're not going to go down much if they go, you know. I mean, All Japan all Japan is just a really well-run promotion. They have the, the main eventers are all super workers, and, and none of the guys that are on top are going to leave. So, um, you know, I mean, as far as quality of wrestling, they'll probably be the number one quality of wrestling promotion, at least men's promotion in the world next year. New Japan, um, they've got a lot of holes to fill, you know, with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow in the WWF and Vader in WCW. But um, they seem to be a really well-run promotion and always seem to have, you know, now with the thing with, uh, with Tenru and the feud between War and New Japan, it just seems like that they, whenever something gets a little bit slow with New Japan, they come up with a new angle, and the new angle, you know, means these giant houses. Well... Yeah, really, that's really about it as far as uh, we've covered uh, basically the world. Of course, Europe is another big uh, question mark. Uh, the WWF planning on going in there, 150 dates, uh, which can certainly uh, burn out the area uh, before too long. WCW is certainly looking closely at that market as well. Uh, it's going to be an interesting 1993, to say the least. A lot of predictions there. I, I just, um, we're, that was too cold, Scorpio, we were talking about. Right? It was too cold, Scorpio, yeah. 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 Yeah, he was, you know, one of those guys who was just getting started in WCW and mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, you know, the aerial dynamics that he used in the ring. And yeah. it was a fresh new face that everyone was kind of looking at back in 1992 it was a guy that really could be a major star. Uh, and, of course, uh, booking, mishandling and then, you know, falling out of favor for whatever reason here and there. Uh, but he was somebody that. Uh, you could say never really reached the heights that a lot of people predicted he would. That's ball drop number one. But the major Bill Watts ball drop was Liger. No question about it. How do you bring one of the biggest international stars at the time into your federation and just bury him? I mean, he yeah. really buried him. I, I, yeah. I mean, to the point where you, he was there, but everybody forgot he was there. Yeah, he was one of the hottest commodities. Everyone talked about him, at least on the insider, the hardcore fans. Everybody knew who he was and hey, the dynamic. Yeah, the dynamic performer that he was in Japan, and everyone was so excited when he was coming to the states. and And he was such one of the hottest commodities uh, that that's how I felt. It was like he would be great to bring into the convention in 1992, and I booked him there because i just felt that the hardcore fans would already knew who he was so he was going to be a draw which he was uh along with the others that i brought in but uh he was mishandled he was misused he was buried and and that should have never uh have happened because he's such a legendary performer now but the other predictions there that david mentioned uh hogan of course did sit out for a while longer and um uh, you know so hogan always was able to play things strategically uh the kurt henning uh prediction uh top star uh you know one of the two top stars in the business of course 
that didn't really happen either. Luger, I mean, what a what a sweet deal he had when he left uh, and came into the WWF because he was going to be, you know, in the WBF, the World Bodybuilding Federation. And then when the scandals happened, that was the end of that. And they were still paying him because he was initially because of a non-compete clause he had. He was uh, going to be the uh, kind of the centerpiece of the WBF. Mm-hmm. And then the scandals happened, and that and that that World Bodybuilding Federation went under pretty quickly. And then Luger, of course, they gave him the gigantic push uh, as you know, like Mister All American, and uh, it was just kind of an interesting interesting people, thing with Lex. People forget the early push as the narcissist. Yeah, that was freaking horrible, right? They turned it on a dime. You know, the narcissist wasn't working, and all of a sudden becomes Mr. All American. And remember the know, Luger the bus. bus, the tour bus, yes, there the it is. red, white, and blue, and you know, traveling around the country. Uh, some crazy stuff. I got to defeat you know. that Yokozuna. Yes, well, exactly. He, he didn't, I, you know, and I was shocked when he didn't. I know. That match had such a build, and I thought, well, here's the new there it is. coming of the new champion that's going to be around yeah. for the next five years. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you don't get everything right. You make your predictions based on how you feel and yeah. you know, what, what you could foresee. But um, uh, so, it was, so it's kind of interesting to look back at these predictions now to uh, kind of look at look back at what actually happened. And, of course, people who listen to this podcast are uh, pretty educated and pretty smart to what happened from 30 years ago. And uh, so I think everyone out there listening to today's episode is going to find it fascinating how we kind of took a look back at 92 and then look forward into 1993. And especially with Dave on the phone, that was kind of really cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, once again, the complete show, this complete show can be heard on patreon.com slash John Uh, we get into, uh, more advertising. I, I promote <laughs> the bulldog and anvil appearance, which was really a long appearance for them. They did two different appearances on long Island on the same day. That was really like afternoon and into the evening at the two bowling alleys that we went to. How'd they handle it? Were they cool with it or they were fine. They got paid really well. Yeah, the uh, you know the the Long Island Bowling Bowling Association and picked up the fee for their appearances and they were charity events. Um, uh, both of these were raising money uh, for uh, for uh, I believe it was Multiple Sclerosis uh, Foundation or was it? Uh, no, it was, I'm sorry, correct me. It was cerebral. It was cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was these were fundraisers for cerebral palsy, and they were um, raising money uh, to help uh, uh, that that foundation. So uh, yeah, I was on the road. I picked them up at the airport, drove with them. It was mm-hmm. Interesting, because you know, Davy Boy was just huge, massive, and Nightheart was he was okay. I mean, he he, he was. You know, he, he was good. It was, uh, you know, I, I got along better with uh, Davy Boy than I did with Jim. Uh, Jim was just something about, <laughs> something about him, you know. And uh, I had problems with him later on, as we're going to cover uh, in future episodes when he uh, when he no-showed a tour I did. Uh, anyway, a uh, bunch of other commercials uh, aired, LS Comics and... Uh, and then we got into covering more of what happened in the beginning of the year uh, when we talked with uh, uh, David Schultz and superstar Billy Graham on that very first show on WEVD, January 5th, 1992. So there were a bunch of uh, highlights uh, there as well. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of people are like, why 
will you keep covering this stuff, even though it was dead and buried? It was a look back, first of all. But mm -hmm. you have to also remember, Bob, that the feds were now on the hunt. They were all sniffing around and doing, you know, doing their due diligence because they would eventually uh, file suit and arrest uh, uh, Vince McMahon for uh, illegal steroid distribution. So it was still really an interesting time uh, for all of that. You know, didn't it feel like during this whole period, like the in-between from the initial impact of these shows to the time they did arrest McMahon, you could feel something bubbling under, couldn't you? There was there was always that underlying rumbling of there trouble. There was more to come. What? There was more yes. to come. Yeah, mm -hmm. more to come. And it was, uh, you know, like I said, a very, very interesting time. And and then, you know, to complete the episode, we uh, went back and we talked about that explosive March 15th, 1992 show uh, that was in the WEVD studios with a array of different people on the phone in the studio. CBS Evening News was there filming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was incredibly chaotic, and it was Rousseau and in the control room, and uh, it was just it was chaos on March fifteenth, nineteen ninety two, the day before the Phil Donahue show. So not only was Meltzer there, uh, Barry Orton was live in the studio, superstar Billy Graham live in the studio. We had uh, on the phone uh, various wrestlers from uh, Billy Jack Haynes to uh, uh, the Midgets were on there. It was just insane. And, of course, Bruno Sammartino as well. And, and uh, you know, we're not going to play uh, those clips uh, uh, from Billy Graham because some of the things he said were just kind of, oh, my God. I mean, the accusations, the alleged uh, comments about Vince McMahon. I mean, you'd have to listen to the Patreon episode to hear all of that because we're not going to play it here. Uh, and then uh, finally, Bob, I think we have a, a real interesting clip with Bruno Sammartino. Uh, and then we also might play something from Bob, uh, from Barry Orton as well. Barry so right. so uh, why don't we go to the Bruno clip because uh, this is pretty fascinating uh, during that tumultuous broadcast from March 15th, 1992. Um, yes, good evening, Mr. Arizi. This Wait, is Eugene from 93rd Street. How you doing, Eugene? What can we do for you? Okay, I'd like to direct this question to Mr. Bruno Sabmartino, the living legend. He's listening. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, Bruno. Um, being that you were with the WWF for quite a number of years, when you were with the organization and you were, were you, when you were aware of all these different things going on, being with uh, drug use, steroid use, homosexual activity or whatever, did you try to ever talk to Vince about this or ever make a statement? Or, yeah. you know, first of all, I went to the WWF when I first broke into the business in 1959. In 1960, I had a fallen out with them. They had me blackballed all over the country, so I had to go to Canada to make a living. I was there for a year and a half. I worked for, out of Frank Tunney's office. Then McMahon called me himself because I had some good success in Canada, and McMahon called me to come back to New York because New York, he was in nearly bankruptcy, and that's no exaggeration. He was filing for bankruptcy, and when he heard of my success in New York, they called me, and I told him the only way I'd come back is if he gave me a match with Buddy Rogers. That's a long story, but anyway, that's what lured me to come back, and, and not bragging, but we turned everything around immediately. At that time, there was no such thing. Uh, at least that I was aware of as far as uh, uh, any of uh, these things going on. Not at that time. These things came about that I first became aware of in the 70s. 
In the 70s, for example, when Mel Phillips uh, uh, was caught in an automobile in, a, uh, in the parking lot, I believe it was Alan Tom, if we were doing a taping. I didn't catch him myself, but the two people who caught him, I know him very well. One of them is very frightened to come forward. The other one, unfortunately, has passed on. And uh, they, they were shocked to even talk to the kid. The kid was like 11 years old, and the kid said, well, he says that they, uh, Mal gets him in the arena for free, and he, uh, and he uh, uh, introduced him to the wrestlers. And in other words, poor kid, you know, a lot of these poor kids, broken homes, they hung around the arenas. They wanted to meet their heroes and so forth. They had no money. It was just very sad. And these are the kids that, that fell into their prey. Now, when I first heard about it, uh, I spoke to Senior about it. His, re his reaction was more or less like, well, Bruno, he's not uh, uh, one of our employees. Well, I don't care. You know, what they do is their business. I said, well, I wouldn't want some, uh, I called them a name, around my organization. The fact that, the, you know, but it didn't seem to bother him. And not only that, but Junior didn't seem to be bothered. And certainly he knew about it. He had to. Uh, everybody did. And yet, not only that, but they, they brought him on to bigger uh, positions from that time on. So as time went on, and you start hearing more and more, but I was getting out in 1981. So by that time... I Pardon? I see, I see, I understand. See, I got out in 81 when, you know, and that was true. Yeah, I mean, I can't even believe Vince McMahon lying about this, especially the employment of Mel Phillips with the WWF. I mean, I can even remember watching episodes of TNT where he's performing skits with Mr. Fuji on there. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, but he was occasional laborer. That's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And Bruno, I just want to say, you know, it's been such a pleasure over the years to watch you wrestle. And I can even remember the last time I saw you wrestle live at Shea Stadium where you fought Larry Zabisco. That was one of my, that, that was a match that the worst conditions in the world, it was like winds would blow and rain like crazy, and we wrestled for like an hour and 15 minutes, pure, clean, scientific wrestling. What was rewarding about that, I got calls and letters from promoters around the country telling me that that was one of the greatest scientific matches they'd ever seen in all the years in the business, and that was very, very flattering to me. Okay, let's go to our next caller, and uh, that match Bruno was talking to, of course, was against uh, uh, Pedro Morales, and Pedro was st is still with the WWF, isn't he? I don't I think, think so. I don't think so. Not anymore. Really? I I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so anymore. Okay. Yeah, I got uh, <laughs> asking Meltzer about Morales. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think he's with the. But anyway, yeah, that was uh, that was you know the caller had asked Bruno uh, you know about that stuff, and there was just so much horrific stuff that. Uh, that uh, allegedly Mel Phillips did over the years. And it was just kind of, it all came to a head, like a big pimple that was about to burst, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, burst on the Donahue show. And and it also really started uh, the national TV stuff, was everywhere. And uh, Bruno had done uh, the Larry King show with McMahon and other guests, including Barry O. Uh, and Barry O., uh, was on kind of a 15 or 20 second delay on the King show. So he couldn't really even hear or respond properly. So he went off the rails on the, in the pro wrestling spotlight in the studio at WEVD talking about uh, that Larry King show and that Vince was kind of flip flopping back and forth on what the truth was on, on the Larry King show. So the last clip we're going to play today, Bob, uh, goes back to March 15th, 92 and that volatile mm -hmm. year where we hear Barry Orton and, uh, let's, uh, let's give a listen to this. Yes, John. You're next. Who's this? Yes, this is Pete from Eatontown. How are you doing, Pete? Great. How are you? What can we do for you? Fantastic show. Thank you. Uh, just would like to say one, two things. One, I have never heard the superstar this pumped up since he 
was on TV being managed by the Grand Wizard, man. The guy sounds like he's ready to roll. We'll uh, be rolling more tomorrow on Donio, I'm sure. I'll be watching. Uh, one comment I'd like to make, I don't know how many of the fans are familiar with the performance that Vince McMahon pulled on the WWF Slammy some years ago singing a song called Stand Back. And I, all of this stuff, can, uh, I keep hearing his words echoing that he's going for the top and along the way, if any, a lot of men are going to drop. And that's exactly what's happening now. And uh, I feel that a lot of people are going to take the fall for McMahon. <laughs> I, think we're the, I, think, is, I think we're next. <laughs> he is, uh, he, he's he's going to get away with it. Uh, but I, I would like to uh, hear the comments of the guests on that. I, I'd just like to say that uh, I think that <clears throat> you can splash around in the water all you want. But I think the only thing Vince McMahon has going for him at this point is, besides a, a very highly paid media uh, department and PR department, is the fact that the people are, are, are pretty much still at this point uh, un uneducated about what is going on. But I'm going to tell you that they are not going to be uneducated very much longer. And when they become educated, man, there will be no doubt in their minds who is telling the truth and who is not. And that's when the splashing is going to stop, and that's when he's going to be going under for the third time, man, unless he comes clean uh, like uh, Mr. Meltzer, who who seems to have a, a pretty, pretty damn good head on his shoulder, uh, suggested that he should. And I find it ironic, too, that here's a guy who, who told, uh, Vince McMahon told Dave Meltzer, that he had told Hulk Hogan to go on Arsenio and tell the truth, which we know that, that that's not probably the truth either. And he said he was devastated to find that Hulk Hogan had not told the whole truth. And then he turns around and does a repeat performance on Larry King and, and, uh, and does the same thing and, and, you know, lies like a fool. I thought that uh, there was a very interesting thing. It was like a Freudian slip when after he had denied knowing anything about about what was going you know I, i've never heard anything the way it's ever come to me that's uh, on and on and then when i when uh, he asked me are you writing a book and i said yes i am which thank you for the plug vince because i wasn't even going to bring that up but uh, uh and then he said that's it case closed trying to blow it off like i'm making all this up to sell a book which is you know ridiculous because of course i still have the polygraph but uh but then when Larry King interjected and said, but that doesn't mean it's not true, Vince McMahon looked at Larry King and said, oh, no, that doesn't mean it's not true. Then again, after he had denied that this stuff goes on over and over and over, when the lady called in at the end and said, you know, we know that this goes on, it very well could have went on, uh, and what are you going to do about it in the future? He says, oh, yeah, that's a good question. It very well could have gone on. Vince, make up your mind, man. Barry O and uh, Barry are very, very volatile in that program that we featured back in March. Now, uh, of course, a lot of these scandals have blown under, uh, blown over rather, and um, we're happy to see that happen. But uh, the ongoing investigation that's now continuing and, and really picking up speed uh, by the federal government, which we'll touch upon over the next few weeks here at this program, uh, we'll let you know uh, what's going on. It's been... Uh, uh, a real interesting time, uh, the month of December, uh, with people talking to the U.S. attorney who's investigating Titan Sports and the WWF. So um, 
we will continue following this story. Uh, it has lulled for a while and may be picking up again, and uh, we'll just have to keep following it and let you know what's happening. Uh, but once again, the WWF, as we stated, uh, have uh, they've done a lot since March to uh, alleviate a lot of the problems that are in there. So we got to give credit where credit is due there. Yeah, prolific statements there because obviously it was starting to heat up in the U.S. Attorney uh, looking into the WWF Titan Sports. That was kind of a kind of prolific when you're talking about what happened in the future and that federal indictment on McMahon. But all of that, even the comments that Barry O made in regard to uh, uh, Meltzer talking to Vince directly and Vince saying he wanted Hogan to tell the whole truth on Arsenio and. And uh, that kind of brought a lot of this on. When Hogan went on Arsenio and lied, that's what really that sparked a lot of a, a lot of uh, it. Just put it just put on a little fire. It 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 was a, it was like pouring a, a, a shitload of gasoline on it. Yeah, and it kind of exploded. It is. It all be if he had come on Arsenio and he would have done better avoiding the subject. Yeah, you but know, he was but, he was booked on the show to talk about it. I, well, I know this, but I'm uh, but I'm just saying that. Well, don't don't even go on the show because I'll tell you what he did so much damage by saying I'm not a steroid abuser and I have never done or whatever you know. I quote, but it, it's like nobody bought it, and and people who knew better went, we can't have. Uh, how many wrestlers did he enrage that day? I mean, it was crazy. Oh, he enraged so many, and he enraged so many people. And then, you know, if if he if he would have after the Zaharian trial, if he would have went on Arsenio and just came clean, and McMahon would have done his very best to clean it up, I mean, who knows if the sex scandals would have even happened? Because at the end of that at the end of that year of 1991, when when Billy Graham and David Schultz decided to do a press tour and do a inside edition or whatever it was, and then came on Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and then Phil Muchnick writes this whole big column about it. And then the call comes in from a uh, uh, from a alleged victim talking about Mel Phillips, and then all of a sudden, wrestlers start... I mean, it just kind of mushroomed. So if Hogan would have went on Arsenio and did the right thing, who knows? where we could have been but it's fascinating to look back at it bob i mean it was a crazy year uh and uh yeah so so if you want to hear the whole episode once again patreon.com slash john arizzi so uh yeah i mean that's gonna about wrap up this one bob i mean uh let's bring marsh back because i think we want to talk about what the rest of the year is going to look like for us here which we don't really know <laughs> because Obviously, we're in a we're in a period right now where um, this episode that's airing uh, the first week of December, uh, we still have uh, you know a few more weeks left in the year. So we're kind of thinking about what to do with the remainder of the year, and there are several options that we're contemplating. Maybe bringing on some live guests, uh, but I really, in my gut, feel that we should kick off the first show of uh, 2023 covering the first show of 1993. So we'll figure out a way on what we're going to do for the rest of the year here with this podcast and what special things we could bring you or, uh, or, you know, just kind of shut the lights off for a few weeks, which I normally do 
but we we uh, we will do another episode or two and figure out what we're going to do special wise and keep you all engaged. I know what we'll do. The next episode, I will give my tremendous recipe for a green bean casserole. How's that? Oh, and I'll oh, no, my, no. I'll do my lasagna recipe. Maybe we should do a, oh, a cook off. Bob and John, a, a, virtu- <laughs> a, a virtual cook off. Marsh, what do you what do you like? What do you like? I can reference. Are you a cook? You can. Uh, yeah, for uh, uh, for the holidays, I typically make duck because it's just me and my girlfriend. So we just I, do. Duck. I was lying. I can't make a sandwich. I burn boiling water. I'm telling you, I can't cook. I'm terrible. The I worst. Make the best lasagna ever. It's almost like have you ever heard the expert. You ever hear of quaaludes back in the seventies? I mean, sure. oh yeah, man, were, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So eating my lasagna is like a quaalude. It just, <laughs> you know, it's so enjoyable. Listen and to this. In a, in a relaxing mood, I have made uh, multiple lasagnas at various Christmas parties over the years, and people just think that my lasagna is the best they've ever had. Yeah, Trivia. This is a yeah. fun fact right here. Yeah, but I, I don't know how to make too many other things. <laughs> well, no, you don't know, but you know, every great chef has their signature dish, John. Yeah, mine is lasagna, and I make a good pasta with clam sauce. And, you know, I, I don't cook a lot, but, you know, and I haven't had a Christmas party for a long time. I used to have annual parties uh, when I owned my house in Franklin, Tennessee, and uh, they were a who's who of country music and friends and family. And that was my that was my Christmas every year. Uh, that was that was my favorite night of the year was to throw my christmas parties and then you know things change people move on you, you know circles of friends you know scatter about uh but really from the mid 2000s 2005 6 uh, 2010 11 that was every year it was like my christmas party was like off the chart good it was fun that's awesome maybe yeah, but- i'll in the wrestling business probably not <laughs> Now you got me hungry for lasagna. That's all I know. Yeah. You mentioned lasagna. My, my, it just perked right up. It's just sounds I'm starving. I'm me too. Starving. I'm, yeah, you, yeah, I'm craving quaaludes. Here's some inside. Uh, here's, oh, yeah, well, that here's, was kind of like I, I have to admit that I I partaked in the early '80s uh, when I was on the road with the uh, rock and roll bands that I didn't know. You know, I experimented. Quaalude was kind of an interesting drug. Uh, I mean, it was just euphoric. Um, but, yeah, you know. I'm not a saint, and I'm not a, not really a sinner anymore at all. I mean, but back in the rock and roll days, you, you experimented. I mean, I, uh, I, um, I, was, uh, I was in the rock and roll life back then, early 80s. That's pretty cool. And lived to tell the tale. Now. And now yeah. he's shifted it all over to lasagna. Yes, <laughs> we've gone everywhere on the ending of this episode. But, uh, gentlemen, uh, as we decide what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks here on the program, uh, why don't you send uh, Marsh and Bob messages via social media? Yeah. What's, what's left of ideas. it? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Uh, you guys uh, give out your handles and where they can get a hold of you. Yeah, uh, I'm at Ref Marsh, and you can find all my links at WrestlingOnTheRocks.com. Uh, I just wanted to throw out that uh, you know how high energy I am all the time, so I did have yeah. a curable, relaxing tea. So that might be. Oh, nice! You know, and this is why I'm more calm than normal. <laughs> I'm gonna have to try that tea. I haven't tried that tea yet. No, I haven't either. It's really good. And Bob, you said you're really good at burning water. Mm-hmm. That's step one of making tea. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> All you gotta do is put a pot on a 
kettle there, a kettle on the yeah. on the stove or whatever, and just kind of boil the water and making I'm, tea. I am I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I mean, I I I, I you know I I turn a, a Weight Watchers frozen dinner into a three alarm fire. I'm just I'm not there. I got I ain't got the That's touch. That's not good. You know, you know. <laughs> that is definitely I ain't not got good. the touch, man. But I am still on Twitter. For reasons even I don't understand, one of my favorite musician friends left is leaving Twitter in a huff, and uh, all my friends are leaving Twitter in a huff, and everybody's upset at Twitter and Elon Musk and everybody else in the world. But um, I'm still there. It's Bob Smith PWS, and of course PWS stands for Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And I'm there at John Arezzi. You can find me there, and I'm not leaving Twitter at least as of right now. So. Um, that's really, you know, what are you going to do? It, it's really turned into a um, a bit of a shit show there, hasn't it? But. Well, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it, content is one thing, but, you know, security and privacy questions. I are mean, everything is going, everything's wild right now. The blue checkmark deal, the eight dollars uh, that lasted eight dollars a month that 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 lasted a couple of days. And then he took that down is revamping that till the end of November or December. Who the hell knows what's going on there? Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of like seeing like this ultra rich billionaire who kind of was a genius with t- uh, Tesla and SpaceX and all these wonderful things that he, he was doing gets involved with Twitter for who knows why tried to back out of the deal anyway when he first kind of closed was, got the offer accepted and was trying to back out of it ever since and now it seems like he's just tearing it apart limb by limb and creating this chaotic like experience on twitter and 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 it's kind of like it's such a mainstay social media outlet but now you're looking at it and it's like is this thing even going to be around in a couple of months like what's gonna a couple what's gonna happen here in a couple you weeks know? my timeline is a jumble of stuff i have no idea why it's there fascinating to see yeah. it's fascinating it is it's it's like you don't know what you're going to count every time you log in marsh you're, you're there right i mean it's, yeah. it's like whew. <laughs> it's like i used to work for apple and sometimes you'd see uh people defiantly not wanting to learn technology being forced into learning technology that's kind of what it's like watching elon take over twitter like he's this is not his realm it's kind of like putting an ipad in front of a boomer and saying figure it out it's a lot of mess for a while that's what it isn't like, he looks looking like for me. somebody now to run it isn't he kind of trying to yeah. find somebody to run it now yeah after exactly he, like after he like fired or got rid of so many of the workforce and now he's called meetings where he uh you know this is we're taping this obviously as this is happening in real time you, you're going to be hearing yeah. this after the fact uh but uh giving people a five o'clock deadline uh whether you're going to just work <laughs> your ass off yeah. and probably have to live at the place or you have you get three months severance and you get out. So yeah. it's really, I, I just, it's kind of like really cool reality TV that I wish there was a reality yeah. TV show about what's going on behind the scenes at Twitter that's yeah. being played out in public in a way that no one could have ever imagined. But this is what's bothering me guys. I have met actual met in person friends through Twitter. I've met other yeah. musicians through Twitter. I've re kindle my friendship with john arizzi on twitter isn't that right i think that's pretty yeah. accurate right yeah that's very true and, and to see it messed with and you know not everybody's into politics too i think politics has a lot to do with this i'm not going to get into all that stuff but the fact is mm-hmm. to make it some kind of a grand statement about freedom of speech is crazy 
Because mm-hmm. if you don't, if you don't, you don't want people, you know, yelling fire in a packed theater, even if it's online. You know, you, you can't no. create that level of chaos and keep an audience that way. You just can't. And that verified check mark is so important to legitimate journalists, celebrities, sports personalities, and to, to allow anyone to get a blue check mark, which they took down because there were so many impersonators that as soon as they put that eight bucks a month up, I mean, there were just uh, there were pharmaceutical companies that uh, were being impersonated on. And so he had to pull it down. Uh, anyway, we'll see what happens. That's kind of a fascinating thing that we're going to be following here. Um, yeah, and whether or not Twitter is burn around remains. Yeah, oddly right. enough, oddly enough, most of my wrestling Twitter people are still there. Yeah, they haven't yeah, let it, they rest, haven't wrestling people are there for wrestling stuff. I mean, they yeah. want the inside scoop, they want the speculation, the rumors. They, they want, want the to complain, you know, in real time. It's all of that, but it's the uh, wrestling. I, I, I think, I think, you know, at the end of the day, after Twitter blows up, the only people that could be left on it are wrestling fans. Oh yeah, <laughs> it'll be ours. They're not oh, going. <laughs> listen, the corn on social listen media. In, a, in a way, it's it's kind in a way it's kind of cool to have that forum where you can look at let's say Monday Night Raw and then jump right on and go. They're ruining Austin Theory's career right then and there. And then fifteen other people responded, and you have right. a movement, and you, you have a nice conversation. And I mean that it's that's yeah, that's yeah, worth yeah. That's, something. That's what kind of it was designed for. I mean that immediate that immediate commentary on events that are happening and i love i love it because i'm on there for a baseball game when the mets are playing i have that i have twitter open i just love i love following stuff in real time Mm. but all the hate and all the you know the political nonsense i don't even pay attention to uh uh, but it's kind of you know and i'm not really a, a twitter veteran i really just went on twitter in 2018 uh at the end of 2018 so i'm still kind of a uh, a newbie if you look at it in real, I, in real time i went on in 2012 and didn't look at it again until 2018 yeah i joined it forgot i joined it and then realized i had joined it six years later and i logged in and it still worked that's basically the whole story about you know yeah. how, how i stuck with it yeah i just yeah. Uh, saw the big wrestling following on there and i figured if i was coming back and sharing some content and historical stuff and people remembered who i was and and that's the way it happened but anyway we'll continue this conversation on the next episode <laughs> gentlemen it's, it's still <laughs> around, always a pleasure yeah. always yeah. a pleasure to see you guys and uh, this will wrap up this edition of john arezzi's pro wrestling spotlight join our private group on facebook uh dot com slash john i'm sorry that's a that's the wrong plug uh, the private group on Facebook is facebook.com slash pro wrestling spotlight podcast and radio show. Uh, we have a public page there that is facebook.com slash uh, Matt Memories. Uh, private group there as well for Matt Memories. We have that YouTube channel, which I really highly recommend that you check out youtube.com slash pro wrestling spotlight. Please. Uh, subscribe to that channel today and if you listen to this podcast do me a favor and go on if you listen on apple for sure give it a five-star review make a uh, uh, you know give us a nice review if you can uh, that is uh, always helpful for us to get more of those five-star reviews so that will wrap up uh, this edition we want to thank our uh, patreon executive producers anthony pyrus and joe holloway and that reminds me we got to do another uh, we got to do another Zoom chat before the uh, end of the year. So why don't we schedule a nice holiday Zoom chat as well with our friends, our patrons. Uh, so that'll be very, very cool. And don't forget to check out uh, the other podcasts that I do. Uh, the Gibby Show each and every week, bringing on uh, wonderful guests. We just had 
uh, uh, Vernon Wells on, which was a former New York Yankee and a longtime Toronto Blue Jay. He was one of the coolest guys I've ever spoke to. That's the Gibby show. And now we're bringing on uh, Bo Bichette and others. So we're following the baseball winter meetings uh, that are coming up, the trades, the free agency. And John Gibbons is one of the most uh, authentic guys you'll ever want to see. He just uh, he just shoots straight from the hip. And the Gibby show is kind of like pro wrestling spotlight because we're getting all of this inside information that went on in the clubhouse in the dugout, the fights that John had with Ted Lilly and and all of this in, these inside scoops on the Gibby show because John is letting it all out. And each guest brings up amazing inside topics on baseball. So it's kind of fascinating. And it's not all Blue Jays stuff because we, we talk about, uh, like this week we talked about Pete Rose and whether or not he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's just really an entertaining show. Uh, we, uh, so if you want to check out the Gibby show anywhere you get your podcast, please do that. And then the other podcast that I do on a monthly basis is the Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden. Uh, and that is always an entertaining show to do as well. Looking back at 50 years ago when I was just a teenager, I was just a kid back then. <laughs> uh, and here I am still. Uh, Matt Memories from Madison Square Gardens, co-hosted by Tim Coutre, written and researched by Richie Garcia. Until next time when we talk more wrestling with you and more wrestling history, this is John Arezzi on behalf of Bob Smith and Marsh for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Thank you.